Well, again, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see you here at Bergen Park Church. We're glad that you've gathered with us. If you want to uh, grab a Bible or turn it on, or you can look up on the screen today, we're beginning a new series entitled God With Us. What we're going to do during this uh, five-part series all the way through Advent, which begins today, is we're looking at what what does it mean that God is with us? And then as a church, as individuals, as families, how can we abide with Christ? Because we jump into John 15. Uh, Jesus is going to talk about what does it look like to abide. And so if you will uh, take out your Bible, we're going to turn to John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. You ready? All right. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For For by this my Father is glorified. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you went too fast. Oh, there it is. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his. I'm going to look down at my Bible. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, Verse 11. These, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you want, love one another as I have loved you. A greater love has no one than this, that one may lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. For you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I commanded you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord, and all thanks be to God. Just real quickly, a couple things I want to share with you. Uh, When you walk out today, we have an Advent devotional that's available to you. In this devotional, it is available, something you can use as individuals, but also in there, there's a family devotional. If you want to create an Advent wreath, which is simply just five candles, uh, each week you can sit down together. There's a passage you can focus on, prayer you can focus on, something you can do as a family together. We're also going to make these available today at 4.30. We've got 
kind of a Christmas celebration tonight. It's going to be a fun time, song and uh, food and activities. And so if you want to come tonight, you can also pick that up if you forget. But when you walk out today, go to the Connect Center. You can grab that. Church, I want to introduce you. Thanks, bud. I've got my hands full. Why don't you take this, Justin? Can you take, take the Bible and that uh, devotional? You can have the devotional, by the way. That could be yours to take home, uh, do with your family. And uh, so, church, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Knox Lewis Wright. And he was born on September 25th, 2017, to Kelly and Kate and to his sister, Kinsley Wright. And so, church, we want to celebrate uh, when life is born, whether it's new life in Christ or, or life in this church. And so when you see them, please uh, celebrate with them. Also, I saw today as they walked in, now we don't have a picture ready, but I know Katie and Andrew Smith are here and Levi is here. And so I know you'll grab them out in the hallway, but we'll get their picture up uh, maybe next week. How's that? Hey, today I have a special opportunity to introduce to you our... Uh, our speaker today, uh, Jonah. Jonah, you want to come on up as I, I talk about you? Make it real awkward. <laughs> Since Jonah wrote this bio for me, I'll let him uh, stand next to me. Jonah is one of our missionaries. He is working in France. He was born in Ohio and raised in Minnesota, but educated in the good state of Colorado. But right now, they're uh, living in France. He has, thankfully, one wife, four kids, and no speeding tickets. And no more degrees than Fahrenheit. Oh, I get it. I get it. He's climbed 20 of Colorado's 14ers and can bench press 225 pounds as well. That's good. He's written two books. I've, I've, I can tell you I've started one of his books. It's pretty challenging. Numerous articles and a volume of bad poetry. He enjoys sipping tea and nibbling dainty chocolates. He once lost his gold ring band in the Adriatic Sea. Thank you, Brian, for that dramatic <laughs> moment. <laughs> we do things really well here. We do. He's driven 130 miles per hour on the German Autobahn and hopes one day to wrestle a bear. So Bergen Park Church, would you warmly welcome Jonah Haddad. Jonah, we're glad to have you. That was a lot funnier last night at 10 o'clock when I wrote it, but... <laughs> it's always good to be back here at Bergen Park Church. This was the church that welcomed me when my wife and I moved here to, to Evergreen. Um, I preached my first sermon here in this church. I led my first growth group in this church. I was an elder for the first time in my life in this church. I led a mission trip to France from this church. Several of you were, were with me during that time. So I had a lot of firsts in this church. It's, it's a special place for me. I'm glad I can be back here with you today. Um, I just wanted to share a brief update about our work in France. Some of you don't know me. This may be the first time you've, you've seen me here. Um, but I work with Reach Global, which is the international mission of the Evangelical Free Church. And I've been working in Lyon, France for the last nine years with my wife and our, and our four children. And we work primarily in church planting. We do a lot of outreach, evangelism, apologetics, kind of cafe uh, outreach uh, ministry, that, that sort of thing. 
Uh, Lyon is a city of about one and a half million to two million people. It depends on how far out you want to calculate the, um, the metro area. We're about 200 miles south and east of Paris, so kind of in the direction of, of Geneva, so you can kind of situate, situate that. Um, I just wanted to share briefly a few things that have changed in our ministry over the last couple of years since, since I last saw you. Actually, a lot of this is just recent within the last few, few months, so three areas of transition for us. Uh, the first thing is that we're going to be starting to pull away from our church plant. Uh, eight years ago, we started working with a French pastor uh, to plant a church in Lyon. We started with just my family, his family, and about five other people. And now the church has grown to about 60 people. Uh, many of those have actually been through conversion, so that's a really exciting thing to see God working in Lyon in that way. Uh, the church is becoming more and more autonomous, so we have elders now, we have people volunteering for children's ministry, we have people uh, giving their time for the worship and, and, and other things, so the church needs me less and less a, a, as time goes on. So we're starting to pull back a little bit from that church. We'll still be involved in the church plant. Uh, I'll be an elder there. I will support the church in, in various ways, but we're going to be less, less implicated on a, on a week-to-week basis. And the second thing uh, that's happened for us this year, as of about two weeks ago, I've taken on a, more of a managerial role in the mission, too. I'm now Lyon city team leader, so I, I'm organizing our team in, uh, in Lyon. We have two other couples working under us. Uh, one of them just arrived three months ago. Another one is coming in January. So uh, the team is growing, and we're, we're, we're praising God for that. So you can pray for me as I make that adjustment in my, in my own ministry. The third thing that's happened this year is that I've started PhD studies at the University of Aberdeen in Aberdeen, Scotland. I'm doing a partially residential program, so I'll travel there from time to time, doing research in philosophy, more specifically in epistemology, the theory of knowledge, more specifically in the area of skepticism. Uh, so I'm convinced that the future of our, our ministry in Europe needs to involve theological education and training of nationals. Um, we're still, we're still going to be involved in church planting, but we're, we're sensing that we need to move more and more into the training of national leaders. So equipping them uh, for works of service, equipping them for teaching, uh, equipping them to engage the culture in, in Europe. So hopefully in the next uh, few years as well, we'll be moving more and more into teaching, uh, speaking at conferences, things like that to help equip European leaders. So those are the three major things that have changed uh, for me over the last uh, couple of years. Um, I would just add one more thing. I'm a missionary. I'm here to share updates with you, and I'm also here to ask for money. I hate to have to do that, but that's what we do. That's what missionaries do. So um, over the last few years, our, the giving has gone down a bit, and the expenses have gone up. Our children are growing, and they're getting really hungry. Uh, they eat a lot. They eat a lot. Uh, when they were babies, it wasn't a problem, but they're, they're kind of preteen age right now. We've got a 12-year-old girl and, and a 10-year-old boy, and, and they're starting to eat a lot. So help feed them. Um, if you're interested in, in, in missions in Europe, especially in France, if that's something God has, has placed on your heart, if you've traveled to Europe, if you have a heart for the people of France and, and Europe, and you're interested in supporting our ministry, I would love to speak with you uh, maybe after the service. If you want information about our, our ministry, we send a newsletter every couple of months, so about six times a year. I'm not going to inundate your, your inbox with, with emails. But we want to keep you informed on what we're, on what we're doing in, in France. So please see me, and, um, and we'll, we'll talk more. Now, I'm going to transition abruptly into the message for today. So we're looking, of course, at John chapter 15, as we read the text earlier. Uh, John 15, verses 1 through, 1 through 17. 
And the idea is going to be abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Um, how do I know that I'm abiding in Christ and that, and that Christ is abiding in me? Um, before, we go, before we go there, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for your word, the word that we read earlier. We know that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. We know that it penetrates into the darkness of our hearts. It brings light and it brings truth. I ask, Lord, that you would illuminate the meaning of this text to us today, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would know you better. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to put these words into practice for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the text we read earlier talks a lot about bearing fruit. You certainly noticed that as we, as we read through the, the passage, bearing fruit uh, for God through, through Christ. And that's an important part of the text, but I'm going to suggest that it's not the, the, the main idea, the main point. I think really the main idea of this passage is the idea of abiding in Christ. Um, the disadvantage we have starting this series in, in John 15 is we, we don't have all the background material, chapters 1 through 14, to help, help us understand the context. So it's helpful to understand, always understand the context of a, of a passage when we, when we get into it. And I think really the focus, the central focus of this passage is Jesus Christ. It's salvation. It's abiding in or remaining in Christ. And John actually explains to us the purpose and plot of his gospel, if you go to, to chapter 20, verse 31, where he says that he wrote this book, this account, so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is, is the Messiah, or that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. So that's the point, that's the idea of John's gospel, that you would believe in Jesus Christ and have life through him. So the point of this text is to help us, understands God's, uh, help us understand God's effective call and how that works in our faith. I want to underline four ideas in this passage today, four main, uh, main ideas, uh, all revolving around this, this idea of abiding in Christ. And the first point is this. Abiding in Christ means dependence on the vine. Dependence on the vine. Take a look at verse 1. In verse 1, we have two characters, two people introduced here. We have Jesus, the, the true vine, and then we have the Father. And the Father is the, the vine dresser, the, the vineyard keeper, the gardener in the text. Now, for a Jew hearing this, for the disciples hearing this account uh, as Jesus spoke these words, that, that wouldn't have been a shocking or surprising thing that God is the vine dresser or the gardener. Because if you go back into the Old Testament, this kind of language has already been used multiple times. You see it, for example, in Isaiah chapter 5, in Hosea chapter 10, in Jeremiah chapter 2. There's a long list here. So God was the gardener. And the people, the people of Israel, they were the vine. They were the vineyard. So that's the piece that might have been a bit surprising for the disciples when they heard this. Because here Jesus is saying it's not, the, it's not the nation of Israel that is the vine. He's saying, I am the true vine. I'm the vine. 
So he's changing things here a little bit. Israel was supposed to be uh, something that, or someone that, that bore fruit for the kingdom, for God. But time and time again, they rebelled, they sinned, they rejected God. You see this in the, in the prophets. Oftentimes Israel's rebuked because they have resisted God and resisted his grace. But now Jesus is coming in and saying, I'm going to be the true vine. I'm going to bear fruit. Now, you have to have the right vine if you're going to get the right fruit, right? It's, it's simple logic. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, for me, after having lived in France now for, for about nine years, I've come to learn a, quite, quite a bit about wine. Um, I'm not a connoisseur by any means, but I know what, what I like, and I know what pairs well with, with certain foods. Wine is important in French society. They have a long tradition of winemaking that goes back well before Napa Valley came on the scene. Now, <laughs> it's true, Napa Valley now, California, we're producing some, some good American wines, right? We're competing with, with the French. But it didn't, start, it didn't start that way. It wasn't always that way. If you go back in history, about 500 years, maybe a little less, when, when colonists first came from, from Europe and started to, to settle in North America, they were looking for something to drink other than, than just water. Water wasn't always the safest thing to drink at that time. And before they discovered Coca-Cola, they, they found something wonderful in, in growing in the woods of North America. They found a, a, a wild vine bursting with fruit. And so naturally, they, they collected this fruit, they crushed it down and, 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 and made wine. But when the moment arrived to taste the finished product, they were met with a most unpleasant surprise. They were met with a revolting bouquet. The color was murky. The mouthfeel was repulsive. Overall, the beverage reeked of mud and tasted of animal. In fact, in an account that I read recently on the history of, of, of wine production here in the United States, one of the colonists, after having taste, tasted this, this insalubrious elixir, commented that it was like drinking a fox. I mean, it's, it, was, it was disgusting. It tasted like animal. But my point here is this. My point here is this. Without the right vine, we don't get the right branches. Without the right branches, we don't get the right fruit. This is a simple hypothetical syllogism. If A, then B. If B, then C. A, therefore C. That kind of thing. The, the logic follows. It makes sense. John wants his readers to understand that Jesus is the right vine. Jesus is the true vine. At its foundation, your relationship with God depends on the right vine. Your salvation, your, your union with Christ depends on, of course, Jesus Christ himself. So if we're to abide in Christ, we need to depend on the true vine. But there's more in the text as well. Verses 2 and 3 tell us that abiding in Christ means being pruned. Abiding in Christ means being pruned. Healthy branches are pruned. In fact, verse 3, verse 3 tells us that the disciples have already been cleaned or pruned because of his word. Now, the verb kathairo in verse 2 in Greek and the adjective Katharos, in verse 3, indicate the same idea, 
Okay, so in Greek, it, it has the same, the same root. The idea of cleaning and pruning, it's really the, it's the same thing. So the disciples have been pruned or cleaned because of their relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is, pruning is not always a comfortable thing. Pruning is not always an agreeable thing for us as Christians, this kind of spiritual pruning. The word of the Lord is not always gentle. As we see, if, if you, again, read the prophets, if you want an example of this, it's not always gentle. God's message is not always nice by, by the world's standards, especially when it's rebuking us for sin in our own lives. God's truth is not stifled by safe spaces or trigger warnings or other silly notions of that kind. God says what needs to be said. He says what needs to be said in his word. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now this seems a bit harsh, but understand that a good Father disciplines and instructs his children in righteousness. Those of you who have had children, those of you who have been children at some point in, in your lives, you, you understand how this works. Okay? Discipline is, is, is necessary if we're going to grow in maturity. Discipline is necessary. In his grace, God allows us sometimes to, to experience challenges that grow and strengthen us. His word convicts us of sin. It reveals the sin in our hearts. His word brings into light that cold blackness, the villainous secrets that lurk in the shadows of our hearts. If you're abiding in Christ, his word will prune you. Like I said, it hurts, but it's necessary. If you've ever had a root canal, I've never had one, but I hear it doesn't feel very good. Um, we understand how this works, right? It doesn't feel good. The procedure doesn't feel good, but it has to be done if you're going to feel better later on. I don't even like going to the dentist, to be honest with you. I don't like them putting those hooks in my mouth and scratching around. It just doesn't feel nice. But if you're going to have a healthy smile, you need to endure a little bit of pain, right? Um, having a bone set might be the same kind of thing. It hurts, but if you're going to heal, it has to be done. Um, my children always hate having slivers removed from their hands. They get a sliver or something in their, in their skin. They fight me and fight me on this, but if you don't take the sliver out, there's a risk of infection or, or that sort of thing, so it, it has to be done. A painful pruning needs to happen from time to time. Otherwise, we can't expect spiritual growth. We need to be pruned. Those who abide in Christ have been pruned and will continue to be pruned. This is a, a perpetual work of God in the life of the believer. Now, up to this point, I would say the text has been, has been fairly easy to understand, fairly easy to, to grasp. Through the use of metaphor, of course, Jesus is telling us that he is the source of our salvation, that he forms us in faith, but now verses, verses 4 through 15, I think, require, require a bit more attention. Now, the thing is, over the next few weeks, uh, Pastor Jason will be working through these concepts as well. So I'm not going to cover everything here today. This is a very theologically rich 
text, but I want to deal with, with a couple of things at least. Um, so verses four, 4 through 15, you'll notice that the word remain or abide appears in the text multiple times. I counted about 10 times. Maybe there are more, but, but, but it's there a lot. You get the idea. Jesus tells us that bad, unfaithful branches are cut off from the vine. In other words, the only branches that are going to remain in the vine are those that bear fruit. And those branches are the ones designated or chosen by, by God. Now, you might wonder how a bad branch could be united to the vine in the first place. Uh, Judas would be a, a, an obvious example of this. You have the disciples, you have Judas, of course, who was kind of a false branch attached to the vine. So how does this, how does this work out? I think the illustration used here by Jesus in the text is intended to show us that the life we live must be consistent with the faith we profess. So I really don't think we need to get hung up too much on how did Judas end up in there, you know, that, that sort of thing. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that the life we live must be consistent with the faith we profess. Jesus is speaking here about the importance of an authentic Christian life. There are some who seem to bear fruit without a profession of faith. We see this in our, in our society around us, people that seem to do some really good stuff, but there's no profession of faith in Christ. So this, this happens a lot. But then on the, on the other side, we see people who profess faith, but then they don't bear fruit. They come to church and they take communion they praise the Lord with their lips through the worship time, and they bear no fruit in their life. Many will claim to be a part of Christ, and yet they are nothing more than a parasitical branch attached to the church. They're not part of that invisible church. I think that's what Jesus is, is, is referring to here. In French, there's an expression for this. We say, l'habit ne fait pas le moine. L'habit ne fait pas le moine, which basically means the habit or the robe doesn't make the monk. You can put on a brown robe, you can put a cross around your neck, but that doesn't make you a monk. So look at it another way, just because somebody carries around a fishing license with them doesn't make them a fisherman, right? I think there are a lot of fly fishermen here. You, you get how this works. Imagine a man or, or woman, for that matter, who carries around this card in their wallet that says Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, annual fishing pass, or, or whatever it would say. But then you start to ask a few questions. Well, what kind of, fish do, what kind of fishing do you do? But he's unable to even describe the, the, the kinds of fish that live in the local bodies of water in the streams and lakes. You start to ask about the, the equipment that he might be using. What kind of fishing pole do you use? What kind of uh, line or you know, sinkers, bobbers, whatever, uh, flies? What, what, what do you use for fishing? And again, he has no answer. He just gives you a blank look. No idea what, what, what you're talking about. And you keep asking questions, but you find out that he, he's actually never fished once in his life. He doesn't even eat fish. He doesn't even like fish. But he has a card in his wallet that says, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Annual Fishing Pass. You see the problem there. The Christian life is not just about profession of faith. It's about vocation. I think you probably studied this a little bit over the last few months looking at, at the epistle of James. 
It's about vocation. It's about living a life worthy of the calling you've received, Ephesians 4, verse 1. The text is very clear here that healthy branches will remain with Christ, with the true vine. A healthy branch needs the right vine. It needs to be pruned. It needs to remain in the nurturing care of the vine. All of these things must be in place if you're going to bear fruit. That's just how how it is. You will know the, the tree by its fruit. The final thing we see in this text is that abiding in Christ means being chosen. This is kind of a tricky thing here. Uh, verse 16 is, is clear on this. We, we saw it. We read it. Uh, abiding in Christ means being chosen, being designated, being set apart by God. Um, but what does that mean? That can be a bit of a, a, a difficult thing to, to, to grasp, to understand. Uh, you might ask, aren't we supposed to remain in the vine? How is it that we're chosen when we're the ones who are supposed to remain in Christ? How, how do we reconcile that? Aren't we supposed to, to, to cling to the vine, or, or does the vine cling to us? W- which is it? Does God choose us, or do we choose God? So there's that whole, whole question that comes up. I think what happens here is the text provides us with what I would describe as a, an abominable conjunction. Okay? There's an abominable conjunction in the, test, in the text where we have two equally valid propositions that obtain that are both true, and yet they seem to stand in in contradiction. The abominable conjunction stated in the text is that God is sovereign. God elects, God predestines, God is sovereign, and yet, on the other hand, uh, man is responsible. So we have a hard time sometimes reconciling this abominable conjunction. God chooses his elect, and yet the, the elect must respond in faith. God is responsible for our ability to have faith in him, Ephesians 2, while we are told to be responsible for putting our faith in him. And I think a superficial reading of the text gives us the impression that Jesus isn't a very good logician. Maybe he's missing something here. On the one hand, he seems to be saying, it is I who gives you the capacity to remain in me and thus bear much fruit. On the other hand, he seems to be saying, well, it's up to you. You go out and bear the fruit. You do the work. And if you don't, and this is what makes it even worse, if you don't, I'll cut you off, throw you into the fire, and you'll you'll be burned up. Now, I don't think we need to spend the rest of our time working out the philosophical response to this abominable conjunction, okay? There's a lot we can say about this. Philosophers and theologians have been working on this stuff for centuries. We're not going to worry about that today, but what we do need to do is to be faithful to the witness of Scripture, which tells us that God's sovereign choice is at the heart of our ability to abide in Him. The term here in Greek for chosen, to be chosen, really means to be singled out, to be picked out. It's as if somebody points at you and, 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 and all the eyes turn toward you. You're being designated. You're being picked out in the crowd, that sort of thing. Sometimes we like that. Maybe you want to be singled out at times. Other times we, we, we push back. I was thinking about this. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, uh, at recess, every, every day after lunch, we'd have a time of recess. We would always play football, good old-fashioned American football. And, and, and to 
divide up into teams, we would designate two team captains, two people who would pick and choose the people they wanted on their team. That was an instance in which I wanted to be designated. I wanted to be set apart or singled out. I wanted to be recognized as somebody that could, could contribute something to the team. I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to, to be recognized as somebody that could run, that could catch the ball, that sort of thing. I wanted to be designated. But then an hour later, sitting in class, when the teacher was asking some difficult question that, for which I had no answer, I, I did not want to be designated. I did not want to be singled out. I would try to make myself look as small as possible in my desk. I would try not to make eye contact with the teacher. I didn't want the eyes of the classroom on me. I didn't want to be singled out, looked at, chosen, that sort of thing. Now, we need to understand that the person choosing us, the person singling us out, is the God of the universe, the creator, the savior. Okay, this is not a bad thing to be chosen. This is not a bad thing to be singled out. This is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Now, I've lost my, my notes. I've got a page five here somewhere. I don't know where it went. That's one of those nightmares I have sometimes where I am... Um, I'm up in front of the church, there it is, and the notes disappear and I can't, I don't know what to say, that sort of thing. Um, my wife sometimes threatens that she's going to remove one of the pages of my notes when I'm <laughs> preaching just to see what, what happens. I'm confident I can, I can finish without it, but it's, it's nice to have it just in case. But, um, but the, the idea here, I found page five, so we're good, we're good to go. <laughs> Once you're chosen, you have a responsibility to respond. So that's where the, the abominable conjunction comes back. God chooses, God designates, but we still have to respond in faith. Human responsibility, right? So what Jesus is telling us here is that our attachment to the vine, our production of fruit, these things are inextricably linked, inseparable. These two things are based completely and uniquely on the fact that God has chosen us to participate in the vine. Our responsibility, then, is to respond in faith, to obey the Savior who chooses us, who calls us, who saves us, who regenerates and justifies and sanctifies. Every response on our part, every good fruit that we bear is based on God's gracious work in our lives. This is why the core of this text is not about bearing fruit. It's about abiding in Christ. If God's grace is not at the center of our life and of our vocation, then we will, we're not going to bear fruit that's going to last. That's the problem. Think about this. The fruit we bear naturally when we are left to our own devices, is foul and rotten fruit. And I don't need to point you to Scripture to, to convince you of this. Look around. Read the newspaper. Go on the Internet. Look at the world around you. When we remove ourselves from God's grace, when we push back and resist the work of God in this world, we sin, right? Look at, look at these atheistic regimes in the 20th century, communism, Marxism, this kind of stuff, pushing back against God, resisting God, throwing God out of the culture. That's what you get with atheism. Now, I'm not suggesting that all atheists are, are bad people. That's not at all what I'm saying. But when we push back against grace, when we throw God away, 
We're capable of all kinds of sin, right? Galatians chapter 5 gives us a list of the kinds of fruit that we bear naturally when we are left to our own devices. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the like. There's more. I think Paul just probably got tired of of listing out this stuff. But you you get the idea. That's what human beings are capable of. That's what's in the heart. The human condition. So the point is not for you to go out and bear fruit just to prove something. I'm not going to tell you to leave here and go out and bear some fruit because honestly it would be frightening the kind of fruit that you might bear. It would be frightening the kind of fruit that I would bear. If Jesus Christ is not central to what we do, we will just produce, like I said, rotten, poisonous, foul fruit. So what's the point if the point isn't to bear fruit? Well, I think the point is to abide in Christ, to remain in Christ, to walk with the Spirit. There's a reason Paul calls it the Spirit's fruit in Galatians chapter 5, because it certainly doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things come from the Spirit. They come from the Spirit with whom we are sealed for the day of redemption by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be willing to ask ourselves, what kind of fruit am I bearing? That's okay. Ask yourself that. What kind of fruit am I bearing? But the more important question is this. Am I fully grasping the transforming power of the gospel? Do I understand the overwhelming salvific power of my relationship with God through Jesus Christ who chooses me, calls me, regenerates me, justifies me, sanctifies me, and equips me to do every good work for him by the power of the Spirit? Am I letting the gardener feed me? Am I letting the gardener prune me? Am I letting the gardener produce fruit in me? The only way we are ever going to bear fruit is by understanding and by receiving the reality that greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. That's exactly what Jesus did at the cross, right? Your salvation isn't based on what you've done, on the fruit that you bear. It's based completely on the work of Christ, the true vine. Only in this can we bear fruit. Only in this, only when we understand the beauty and the wonder of the gospel in light of our wretchedness, in light of the human condition, only in this will we be able to truly abide in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, for this word, this very challenging word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the source of our salvation, that it does not depend on us. It doesn't depend on the fruit that we bear. It doesn't depend on on our intelligence or or our service in any way. Lord, I pray that you would help us, each one of us here, to grasp the transforming power of the gospel, to put our faith in you, to receive from you, 
and then to go out and bear fruit, whether that's here in Evergreen or whether that's in Lyon, France or elsewhere. Lord, it's by your, by your work, by your spirit that we do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jonah. Hey, as we uh, respond to that message, you know, as Jonah shared that um, though God chooses us, it's one of the signs that we're abiding with him is we respond. One of the signs that you're married is when she says, I love you, you say, I love you back. You act in loving ways, and it's God's sacrifice on the cross that we love God not because we figured it out, but because he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, a covering sacrifice for our sins. And so the way we respond is pretty simple. It's called repentance and faith. That one of the things Jesus said would be a sign that we are his disciples is that we would receive bread, recognizing it is the broken body, the symbolic body of Jesus Christ broken for us. And we would receive the cup as the shed blood poured out for us. One of the signs that we would abide with Christ is that we would, before we take that cup and take that bread, we would examine our lives and say, Lord, just like the psalmist, would you search me right now? Would you know my heart? Would you see if in me there are wicked ways, Lord? And, and then would you begin to, as only you can, change my heart and lead me in a path of everlasting? As we celebrate communion uh, together today, I want to encourage you to do that. Just as Jonah shared, to ask the Father, Father, what kind of fruit am I bearing in my life? And what would it look like this week? What would it look like this week to really walk with you and to abide with you? I want to invite right now the elders. Also, Jonah, would you come up? And if you want to grab the elements, uh, if you want to remain seated during this time, you're welcome to. Let me explain the process that we go through. Uh, we're going to have individuals set up front, elders and, and their wives and others that are going to be serving us. And when you come forward, you will take the bread and they will say, this is Christ's body that is broken for you. And once you've taken the bread, if you'd like to uh, dip it into the cup, they will say, this is Christ's blood that was shed for you. And so let's enter this time uh, beginning with prayer. And then when the Spirit leads, just, just come up front. You can come down the sides. Again, you can raise your hand, and there are those in the back that will bring the elements to you. But let's begin by just asking the Lord to, uh, to search us and then know us. Father, you are the vine. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are the vine. Uh, you came to bear much fruit. As we look at the gospel, as we hear the words that Jonah shared, we are, uh, I see the richness of Jesus. I see the beauty of Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord Jesus, you who are beautiful in every way, you who bore much fruit, you were not only pruned, you were cut off, you were thrown into the fire so that those of us, those of us who should have been cut out, we might be grafted in. That is the grace of our God and Father. And so, Lord, in this time, would we reflect upon what you have done? Would you search us in Jesus' name? Know us. And show us, Lord, what must change. And would you remind us the only way it can change is if we abide in you. Father, meet us there as we celebrate communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate what God has done.